You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. About a year ago, Columbus Business First started our Women of Influence podcast, and it has been capably uh, run by our assistant managing editor, Eleanor Kennedy, who is here with us today. They've been fascinating stories and discussions about some of uh, Central Ohio's most interesting and successful women in business. Some of them are mentors here today, Becca Applestat, Fallon Donahue, Rachel Friedman, Lori Kaiser, just to name a few. And they've really done well. Uh, they've gotten uh, high listen rates, and of course, we have our print and digital uh, stories that accompany them. So today, we're going to add another uh, notable woman to that list, uh, Lori Gillette. Lori was elected CEO of Corner Cocosing by the Board of Directors in July of 2019. She brings 25 years of construction industry experience across many market sectors, and she provides leadership and strategic direction over 250 team members. And again, interviewing Lori today is the host of our Women of Influence podcast, Eleanor Kennedy. So take it away, Eleanor. Great. Thanks, Nick, and welcome, everybody. Uh, so how many of you have listened to this podcast before? Okay, great. Thank you, a few of you. If not, uh, now is your time to get into it. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So for those of you who have not, as Nick said, uh, this podcast features conversations with some of Columbus's leading women in business. Um, I ask them questions about their lives and their careers, and the goal is to find out, uh, as I put it at the start of the podcast, how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. So today, y'all are going to get to hear and see, for those of you here, me chat with Lori. Um, so Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Eleanor. I just want to say, first off, I had a wonderful morning. I got to meet some fabulous women in our community, and I just, I really want to say, you know, thank you to Business Journals and, and Columbus Business First for hosting this today. What a privilege to, to be a part of this, so thank you. Great. Yeah, it was super exciting. I hope you all connected with some mentors, and I know our, our roundtable that I was facilitating had some great conversations. I want to dive into the podcast uh, just by letting the audience get to know you a little bit more, okay. Lori. So now you grew up in Ohio, correct? Correct. I grew up in Fredericktown, Ohio, which is a small town. We do have a traffic light, yes. And I uh, graduated with about 88 kids in my high school class. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up a Buckeye fan? I did grow up a Buckeye fan, yes. My parents both graduated from The Ohio State University. The Ohio State <laughs> University. But you did not go to OSU. <laughs> I did not. I'm a polar bear. Is there any polar bears in the room? Ohio Northern University? I'm on my own on this <laughs> What? 
Well, and just to get to know a little bit more about you, if you've had a super stressful day, what do you do to unwind? Huh, very good. I have recently become very intent on, you know, some mindfulness kind of exercises and very deep breathing, which is just kind of a result of my love for yoga and Pilates. And it just kind of helps me to let it all go and bring myself back into the moment. Mm -hmm. I got too much stress to do the <laughs> yoga. I'm just thinking about my husband's super into it and I'm like, I cannot. I just go to my minute out here. So, What about books? Are you reading anything good right now or have any recommendations for our audience? I do love to read. I'm consistently reading HBR or Harvard Business Review articles. I get those in my inbox every day. And uh, obviously the business journals across the regions uh, where we work keeps me up to date on the community stuff. And I read The Week, which really helps me to kind of keep uh, a worldly view and keep, keep updated across the world. Uh, as far as books that I'm, I just finished reading uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead books. And that was really transformational for me this past year. A couple other books that I read this past year that kind of helped me get through this transition. I read The First 90 Days and that book I read when I was in transition from my previous position and I knew I was getting ready to start the, the CEO role. Mm -hmm. And that book really just helped me to kind of press pause and reset and, and, and put together a roadmap so that I could be get as much done as I wanted in the first 90 days. It just kind of really helped me do that. And it's not just a book for CEOs. It's a book, you know, if you're moving to a new company or if you're changing careers, uh, I would recommend it. And then I think the other book that was really beneficial to me last year, there's a book by Harvard Business Review Press, and it's called Boards That Lead. Mm -hmm. And it really talks about, you know, it's, it's basically if you have this, like, spectrum of here's the board and here's management, talks about whether the board should, you know, should they be a leader and should they lead management, should the board be a partner and work with management or should the board like get out of the way and just let management do their job that's kind of the basic premise of the book and it was important for me to read that book and I got a lot out of it for two reasons one I report to a board of directors and we, we are um, currently working to fill two outside director positions mm -hmm. on our board and so it was important for me to just be able to kind of check the boxes on the things that we're doing right and figure out the things where we needed to improve and then also I sit on a board of directors in a, like in a, for a private company. Uh -huh. And so it kind of just helped me to put that stuff into check and balance there as well. So if you're on a nonprofit board, maybe not as much beneficial, but otherwise I think it's a great book to pick up. Well, and you refer to kind of last year you made this transition. So you've been in the CEO role for about six months now, is yeah, that right? Six or seven months, yes. So talk a little bit about that transition into the role. What was the the scariest part? What was the most exciting part? Scary. That's a, that's a tough word. So, um, you know, it was kind of a, it's, it's been, a, you know, kind of a natural evolution. I've, I've worked for our family of companies for the past 25 years and consistently have been blessed with and, and given, you know, stretch opportunities within those companies that have really equipped me to to be in the position to take this, you know, this role on today. And it was, it was part of our succession planning. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a family-owned company. Uh, my grandfather founded the company almost 70 years ago, and we still remain family-owned, and I'm in the third generation. And we were in the kind of the succession of uh, leadership uh, into the third generation. And then 
and so I've got some cousin, you know, cousins and, and a brother and some other family members that are in uh, leadership roles at some of the other business units as well. But you know, one of the one of the things at Cornick Posing, where I'm CEO, we and at our other business units as well, even though we have family in leadership positions, we also have non-family in leadership mm -hmm. positions. And it's always been that way, and it's still that way, and it really works well for us. And so I give a, a kudos to Jim Negron, who's our, who's the president of Cornica Cozing, our family business. Great. What's the biggest change in being the CEO now from the last role that you held? And what was that role? So the last role, I was a vice president at Cocosing Inc. And Cocosing Inc. is the parent company over uh, all of the other Cocosing-owned uh, companies other than Cornica Cozing. Cornica Cozing is separate, has the same shareholders, but we, we report up to our own board of directors. So what's the biggest change? Mm -hmm. hmm. I would say the first six months, definitely, I think probably the biggest struggle for me was really just the, the schedule. Mm -hmm. And... I really had to, after the first six months, kind of just kind of set pause for a second and really think through the priorities that I wanted and the boundaries that I wanted to set on my schedule. So I think having this, the experience of the six months allowed me to, the uh, ability to, to be able to then kind of bucket things and prioritize how I want my schedule to, to be mm -hmm. going forward so that I can be the most effective you know, for the company. Great. So. Well, I want to go back a bit. We mentioned you went to Ohio Northern. Tell us a little bit of how you got into construction. Obviously, it was kind of the family business, but it wasn't at first what you thought you wanted to do, right? Yeah, I mean, ironically enough, I, I, growing up, I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Well, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was raised in the, con in the construction industry. I mean, I definitely, you know, my playground was, you know, our construction equipment, whether it was a, a backhoe or a bulldozer or a loader, you know, that was, that was our, that was our playground. We, we grew up a mile from, from, from where our, where Cocosing was. And we played in the office. We had a racquetball court in the office and we, you know, we were just used to always being in, in the office and being out on project sites. I always loved construction. I always found it amazing when my dad would take us out to projects, which he did all the time, mm -hmm. uh, in the evenings and on the weekends, uh, when they weren't actually, you know, when they weren't running. And, I just was always interested to see what was going on, to see how the project had changed or how it had evolved, you know, that week or that month since we had last been there. But I didn't really think it was what I wanted to do. And so as I was visiting colleges, and I went to a couple really big universities because I was like, you know, I came from a small town, so I thought I'm going to go to a really big university. And once I set foot at Ohio Northern University, it was just a real small kind of intimate college and I really thought I was going to get a business degree, quite mm -hmm. honestly. Everywhere I went, that's what I was telling them. For some reason, when I went there, they, they somehow kind of ushered me over to the folks in the engineering college. And I don't know if it was because I was a female and I had really good math scores. I don't know if they were paying attention to my transcripts or what. But they had me talk to the engineering college. And at the engineering college, they said, basically, you know, we're going to make you a deal. You know, here's... If you go into engineering, all of your credits will transfer to the business college if you decide that you would rather get a business degree instead of an engineering degree. And consequently, if you want to go into the business college here at the university, if you decide that you're bored or you want to switch to engineering, your credits aren't going to transfer back to engineering. And I'm, if you knew my disk profile, I'm very analytical, the whole engineer side of it. So that made complete sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so kind of 
that kind of sealed the deal. And I was like, you know what, I, I think I want to be an engineer. And once I started in the classes, I just, I never looked back. Mm -hmm. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was the degree for me. And you mentioned when we were talking before, some of the early projects you worked on uh, when you got out into the world are, are ones that will be very recognizable to folks here. So tell us a little bit about your early career experience. And they would be recognizable. <laughs> so interestingly enough, when I graduated from college, I took a position with Kokosian Construction Company with our transportation group. And at the time, the project, I was an assistant project engineer. So there was a whole team of, of engineers and superintendents and, and supervisors out at the 270 and Morse Road project. And at the time, this project was pre-planning for what was eventually going to be what we all know today as Easton. So it was the first project out there that was gonna handle all the traffic that they were expecting to start coming into that area. And then the second project, ironically enough, that I was on was the, uh, and, I, and, I was, and I got to be the, the head project engineer on it, was Sunbury Road, Morse Road. Again, this was pre-planning for what was eventually to be Easton. And on that project, we raised the intersection at Sunbury and Morse Road about five feet. And so they were just making it safer and just better better transportation for all those coming into the area. The interesting thing on that project, I remember I'm like flipping through the blueprints and I'm getting familiar with the project. And all of the, like all of the, the stoplights on the project, stoplights are typically like, they're yellow, you know, the, the, the casing that the lights are in. But on this project, on the very back of the stoplights, they were blue. They were this like crazy color of blue. And then like the stop signs, the speed limit signs, everything had this blue on it. And I was like, why? What's up with this blue? Well, everyone today knows, you know, that's the signature Easton blue. But at the time, that was the first project that brought the blue. And so I just, you know, they did tremendous pre-planning. And interestingly enough, too, we are, our company is still out there building stuff for Easton. You know, over 25 years later, we're building hotels out there and parking garages and various tenant build outs. We built the mall out there. It's just, it's been really fun, the relationships that we've got, you know, gotten to build mm -hmm. in that over the whole entire, you know, Easton development. And just to see the community blossom like that. I mean, I just, you know, they have brought, Easton has brought so much mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. Columbus. Awesome, well you all have Lori to thank, clearly. No. <laughs> there are many people to thank. We have, I mean, there's a lot of people involved yes. out there. Yes. Yeah, to make it what it is today. So today's event is all about mentorship, obviously, and I know that's something that you've wanted to build a support system around at Cornica uh, Cosing. So can you just tell me a little bit about how you fostered those relationships within the company? You know, within the company, we have what's known as a WISE program. It's the Women's Ideas and Strategy Exchange. And this idea was actually born by, there's two of us, and actually Megan is here today. She was, she was one of the co-founders of that group in our organization. And that idea was born out of, we attended an event, gosh, it's probably been about, I don't know, three years ago maybe. And the uh, CEO at the time of Cardinal spoke at that event. It was a, a diversity and inclusion event. And the mayor's wife was there. She pre presented on you know, the Women's Commission. There were some individuals there that presented some statistics from a McKinsey mm -hmm. survey and study that had been done on uh, just you know, women in the, in the workplace. And this program that we attended was so powerful that by the time 
the program was over, I, lo I looked at her. I think both of us, our eyes were just like this. Our jaw was on the ground. And we just felt so moved by the statistics that, that we heard that day. And we both wanted to do something about it. I know that you know sometimes you can attend programs and you're like, oh, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually you know, do something about what I learned, right? And then we all go back to our day jobs. And I know that you know, our day jobs are can be overwhelming, right? And we can get back into the checklist of things that we have to get done. I didn't want that to happen. So Megan and I looked at each other and we said, you know what, let's schedule a meeting. Let's get out our phones right now and let's schedule a meeting within the next week for us to debrief on what we learned today. And let's figure out how we are actually going to move the needle forward. We are not just gonna sit here and listen to this program and then not go back and do something. And so literally like two days later we met and that's where our WISE program was born, the Women's Ideas and Strategies Exchange. And that program, it's for women only, and it's the first time within our family of companies that we've ever done anything that is for women only. It's a coaching and mentoring program where we had a pilot program where we had 10 coaches and 10 protégés, and it's set up to, to coach on a, you know, like a bi-monthly basis where you meet one-on-one -on -one with your coach, and on the other month, we have, we try to have like professional transformational programming that's driven by the attendees. Like they get to help us figure out what the programming's gonna be and they all meet together every other month to do that. And so some of the programming that we did in our pilot program was on emotional intelligence, uh, personal branding. We did some internal and external panels, panels, just really trying to engage and have open dialogue in a trusting small intimate environment which is one of the reasons we picked to have only 20 people in the first pilot class so when we came back from that meeting you know we met we figured out what we wanted to do we presented it to some senior executives in our company and said listen this is what we want to do and you know of course we gave them the, the what the how the why it was all it was all laid out they had tons of questions which i would completely expect and they wanted to know how we were gonna measure the success of the program. We had to get, you know, we're, we're talking about engineers and construction, so we had to have the, the measurements. And, and then they said, you know what, we have one caveat to, you, to, to, to basically, you know, support, supporting this program. You know, since we're gonna have these coaches and the coaches are gonna give their time to the protégés, and we're, you know, we want, at the end of the program, we want the protégés to give back to the community. And to females in mm -hmm. the community. So that was the caveat. I was like, done. In fact, that's an amazing idea. I'm sad that we've left it out of our initial you know, mm -hmm. request. We started our pilot program. We've, we graduated that class uh, last year. And as part of the program, at the very end, like the last four months, and we do this in all of our leadership programs across the enterprise, we do capstone projects. And the point of the capstone projects is just to make the company better mm -hmm. somehow, to do something that's gonna really move the needle forward. And so the three capstone projects that we did for the WISE program, we broke everyone into three groups. Uh, one of the teams, they went out uh, and looked across the country at what other women's only programs, what other companies were doing for women only programs. So they went out and they benchmarked and then they brought all that information back so that we could learn from it. And then we had a second capstone team that went and evaluated the entire pilot program and said, Here's what worked, here's what didn't work, here's what we need to change. And one of the good things that we did is we surveyed after every single program that we did. So we had you know, results and statistics mm -hmm. and feedback that they could go back and analyze so that we could, could use that in our analysis. And then the third capstone project was the team that was gonna figure out how are we gonna give back 
to women in the community. And they came up with the most amazing idea, and I can't wait to see this whole thing come to fruition this year. So on June 25th, we'll be having our first Cocoa Camp. And at Cocoa Camp, it is for middle school girls, so six, anyone going into sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and it is gonna be a free uh, one-day event where the girls can come in and really get excited about STEM and get passionate about construction, hands-on with blueprints. They're gonna be side-by-side -side with the women from, from our company that mm -hmm. went through this WISE program and some other women. They're gonna go out to one of the project sites. They're talking about going out to the Columbus Crew Stadium and watching them pour concrete. They're gonna have their PPE on, their hard hats and everything. So uh, super excited and I, I tell you the the women in our company are very excited for this for this day to uh -huh. to come. So it'll be free June 25th. <laughs> so if you know any middle schoolers, and that's and you, that was the pilot. Are you running another? Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So pilot done, right? And we literally just started our second group going through Wise. And so uh, the second group, I think we have like I think we're at 22 or 24 individuals going through the program. And last week we had our first uh, session with everyone. In the first session we bring a facilitator in and we teach folks how to have a success successful coach-protege relationship. Because there should be, you know, to be able to set expectations and goals for the proteges and to teach a coach how to coach. And so by setting all that, that sometimes I feel like when we do informal coaching relationships, that can be why maybe they fail because mm -hmm. we haven't really built a good foundation for what those expectations should be. And so we found that really successful in the pilot, and so we did that again for the second round. Yeah, and I know that some of the folks at one of my roundtables were talking about they're trying to figure out how to build one of these programs. Can you talk a little bit more, uh, as much as you can share, about what the metrics are that you're measuring for success of the program? Or are you still kind of figuring them out? It's early mm -hmm. right now, and so we're very data-driven, and so, <laughs> I, you know, we'll. We'll look at the data once I think we have a few more. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a few more. But one of the, I guess one point of data that's been really successful, some of the mentors that were in the first program are now coaches in the second program. And so we really wanted to make sure that the women that go through this program have that opportunity to, to make a big ripple effect in the organization. And so I think that is a really powerful result of the program. Awesome. Great. Well, it sounds like a lot of people are excited about the cocoa camp thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, and that connects to, obviously, construction is a pretty heavily male-dominated industry. And you talked about one example there of y'all trying to support getting more women into the industry. Can you just talk a little bit more about how you kind of approach gender parity at the company and, and why that's important to you to get more women in? I've, you know, been one of the, you know, one of the few women in, in, in a manager position, but it's, you know, coming up through, through a male-dominated industry has never bothered me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that started, like when I was at a high Northern University, because I only had five women in my engineering class. So I was kind of used to that already, you know, that, that groundwork had already been, been laid. I will acknowledge, I do feel like, first of all, can I ask the audience a question? Yeah. So, Anybody married? Raise your hand. Yeah, so I will acknowledge, sometimes men hear things differently. Mm -hmm. And that's... <laughs> yeah. 
in our personal lives and at work, right? I mean, it's okay. Like that's that's part of what makes you know working together great. And so you know, one of the things that I started to do, a, I guess probably about five or six years ago, I call it the power of two. And I have found sometimes I just need another female in the room to kind of reiterate what I just said or kind of, I don't know if like validate's not really the right word, but to kind of, kind of just reiterate is really, is mm-hmm. really what it is. And so what I've done with the women that work for me is I, I, I tell them if you're going into a really important uh, meeting, a really important setting where you're trying to push some, you need some certain result at the end of that meeting, let me be your power of two. Let me go with you and let me help reiterate and help kind of support getting you to, to your goal. Mm-hmm. And so it's been, it's been one of the things that has been, um, that we've kind of carried down through the women that have worked with, with me the past five years is whenever I see somebody go like that, I'm like, okay, what do you need? You know, so we just flash the two or we text the number two <laughs> and uh, we're there to support each other. And it's not, I mean, a man can do that for you too, whatever, you know, whatever works, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but I have found that to be beneficial. Yeah, that's great. That's a great kind of specific piece of advice that everybody mm-hmm. can take with them. So kind of a, a more big picture. How many hours a week are you typically working and, and how do you approach the work-life balance question that I know? <laughs> As a CEO, I'm always on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a 24-7 job. I almost kind of compare it to a radio. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I can turn the volume down a little bit. And I, I do that like in the evenings, you know, for a little bit when I'm with my family, because I, ha- I have a mom of a two-year-old and an 11-year-old girl. And so when I'm Basketball home, champion, 11-year-old. <laughs> no, I they heard. were runners up. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Still great. Five overtimes last night. Ooh. Five overtimes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So they lost by one point. That's good. It's all good. <laughs> Sports is good. Yes. It's good for confidence building. So, yeah, I'm a mom of a two-year-old and an 11-year-old, and so when I'm with them, I want to be present. So I'm turning the volume down, and that's the evenings. And then when they're in bed, I turn the volume back up, and I resolve whatever those issues are, Mm -hmm. whatever those thoughts or those questions or whatever it is that I didn't get resolved that day, I have to resolve them in order to get a good night's sleep. So I turn the volume back up, and I get that done. That's really, I guess, the best comparison I can give is to a radio. Well, we do want to see if anyone in the audience has some questions uh, that they'd like to ask Lori. I think Melissa has a microphone in the back, so just raise your hand. She'll bring it around to you. Anybody? Got a font of wisdom up here? Oh, we got one up here. The program you were talking about, your WISE program, sounds very interesting. Is there, is it published anywhere? Is it on your website? Is there a way to get some of the information on how you're putting that together for others that are trying to develop a similar program? That's a great idea. It is not published anywhere, but um, one of the, since we were the you know recipient of the benchmarking efforts that we did, you know the folks that did share their information with us, it was really beneficial. I, so we you know would love to to find ways to share that information so that others can implement and 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 do you know take from it what works for you. And then there's also a couple. I know there's a couple groups that. I know, like I think Megan sits on a like on a phone call sometimes with some other companies in Central Ohio that have similar programs, and so like that could be some information that we could could share as well. Just you know, we're all trying to learn from each other, right? This benefits our community, 
and, and, and workforce development in general. So nothing that we want to hide. As you think about your career, what are some of the skills or experiences that you think you had as a manager or director level that helped prepare you to be ready to be a CEO? I work very hard. <laughs> and I'm very passionate about construction and about our business and about our team members and about their growth. Very passionate about the buildings that we're building in the communities that we're building them for. It is so fun, I can't even describe enough, to see just kind of like a blank slate, a blank ground with nothing on it one day, and then to know that you know, a year later our team has built something from the ground up, and then to see that facility or that building in use, if it's a school, to then see you know, the kids running around in that, in that school uh, after, it's, after it's been built. Just the, you know, just the passion for the construction industry that I have and, and that drive uh, has, really, has really helped support my experiences. What kind of barriers did you run into? And if so, uh, how did you resolve anything? The biggest barrier sometimes can be our self-doubt that we have. And, you know, whenever there was a stretch opportunity within our company, and this is, this is even proven by research, not just me doing this to myself. I know, you know, other women do this as well, but maybe there's 10 qualities or characteristics or skill sets that you need to have to, to, be, to be qualified for this growth opportunity. And, you know, most of the times I could check very quickly, six, seven, eight of those boxes. And then there's a couple that you're like, man, I'm just, I'm not, maybe I'm not ready for this growth opportunity because there's a couple boxes I can't check. And others might, you know, look at that same opportunity and maybe they only check six of those boxes and they're like, well, I'm still gonna apply for that. So we have to, you know, we're our own worst enemy. We have to be able to say, it's okay that I can't check these two boxes. What am I going to do about it? If, if, this, if this new role is on the growth trajectory that I want, that benefits the growth of my career that I want for myself, then I need to figure out who can mentor me, who can help me fill these gaps, and how quickly can I get there. And then when you go for the interview, be prepared to just lay that roadmap out there. Take that initiative and say, I've, this is a gap for me, and I'm going to use this mentor to help me get there by this date. And so I think, again, we're just, we can be our own worst enemy sometimes. And so, you know, get that self-confidence, get that plan put together, and take the next step if it's the right next step for your career growth. Got another question over here? This might be a similar question, <clears throat> or building off of the previous one, but um, what advice would you have for a career-driven woman who wants to gain visibility within her organization with senior management? So one of the, one of the unique things that we do within our company, I alluded to it as a little, just a, a touch on a little bit earlier, is we do these capstone projects. With the capstone projects, at the very end, the team presents their capstone projects to senior management across the entire enterprise. And so, and our senior management, they don't necessarily come to every single meeting that we're having, but they will come at the beginning and they wanna, you know, they wanna, 
you know, meet everybody, they want to shake hands, they want to see how you're doing. Sometimes they'll come at the end, sometimes they'll sit through for lunch. But between those things and the presentations at the end, if that happens at your company, go up, introduce yourself, say hi, tell them why you're there, you know, say thank you, you know, for the growth opportunity. Um, be, you know, be, be present with, again, that self-confidence, again, uh, and then I guess probably the other way is just making sure you've got mentors. I mean, you've got to have, you have to have champions within your company. And I think it's good to have both male and female champions within your company. And sometimes a champion within, you know, either your division that you're working and somebody that's, that's not. And, you know, somebody that is not working with you day to day. I think it's just beneficial to kind of have that, that cross section of help and of champions that are, you know, speaking up on your behalf or making sure that you're getting those, those introductions. Thanks for your, your remarks today. I wanted to ask if you could break down for us a typical day at the CEO level, um, how much time maybe you're spending on HR, how much time you're spending on vision, how much time on customer contact, and um, maybe consensus building. Is there a typical day? Uh, I was like, uh, no. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I. Yeah, maybe more kind of generally, what are your kind of, among those buckets. things you listed, yeah, your priorities, yeah. kind of how are they ranked? Yeah, so, you know, buckets uh, internally, our team members, and uh, externally, our, our clients. And I, I have a fantastic uh, management team. You know, you mentioned HR and, and, the, and the different things um, that uh, they're, one of the things that we're really focused on that I'm really focused on is risk management from a higher level. So got a great team in place that um, I have very clear expectations on what I expect them to share with me from a risk management standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of your biggest hands-on mm -hmm. area. Gotcha. Is there any part of your job that you simply don't like doing or you just don't look forward to and what do you do to mentally prepare yourself to take that on whether it's a big project or something even small I think sometimes it can be scary like if you maybe you know sometimes if you don't have the answers right and so that's if you've read like Brene Brown's book about being vulnerable and building respect and building trust and just you know being sure that you again I mentioned I've got a fantastic management team kudos to them and you know just you know surrounding yourself with those folks that you can have those open honest you know conversations with to help drive the company forward you gotta will yourself a little bit to be vulnerable to say I don't mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. I think actually we can do one more audience question if anybody else has one you got one right here about boundaries, how do you set healthy boundaries at work? And I don't mean boundaries like, I'm not gonna tolerate this, but boundaries that says, this is how I'd like to be talked to and how I'd like to be treated, and these are the expectations. You talked a little bit about your management team. How did you get them there? How did you get your boundaries? I've been in this role like six months right now, so one of the things I think that is just continues to be super important to be able to set boundaries, we have to build trust. And then the other thing that we have to do is get alignment on vision. And we also have to be very clear on what our expectations are of ourselves. We have to first be clear with ourselves in our own mind. You know, I have to be clear with what my expectations of me are. 
in order for me to be able to then turn around and be clear what my expectations are, you know, back and forth with the management team. And so um, a very big on clarity is, is, is kind and, and, and creating clarity amongst the expectations and the vision and the alignment. Well, I think uh, to kind of close out, thank you again so much, Lori, and thank you all for the questions. That really was a fun element of this. Kind of a, uh, an open-ended question. You can take it any direction, but you know, there's a lot of young women in here, a lot of people earlier in their careers. What's one piece of advice that you want to leave them with for how they can, can grow and advance and follow in your footsteps? I'll give two, if that's oh, okay. Oh, great. <laughs> so, because one I kind of already alluded to, so I won't expand that too much, but if, this, if, the, if there's a stretch opportunity for you to take, and it's on your growth trajectory, find a way to take it. Take those opportunities. And the, the, the second piece of advice, and the only reason I'm gonna give, give this one is because the table that I was at this morning, there were a lot of people where this came up, and so this is a, this is a result of the discussion, a lot of the discussions that I had this morning of where it applied, so hopefully some others will find this beneficial too. I had a lot of mentors through my career, and I feel like you know, a lot of those, God had them cross my path. It wasn't, like early on in my career, it wasn't necessarily because I intentionally tried to find that mentor. But as I increased in my experience in my career and got into my late 30s, I became very, very intentional about the mentors that I have. And I actually, I, I have a name for them. I call them my personal board of advisors. I would have done this earlier in my career, been very intentional if someone had told me this earlier in my career. And so that's why hopefully some of you will find this helpful. So this personal board of advisors that I have, people know that they're on it. And I have females, males, I have people internal to our company, external to our company, people that are in the industry sector that I work in, people that are outside of that sector, people that are you know, from a community standpoint and a charitable giving standpoint, I just have a lot of coaches and mentors on my personal board of advisors. I really, I call them my truth tellers. I can go to them if, I, I mean, if I, you know, if I need someone to just say, listen, you are not looking at this correctly. You need to change your mode of thought and like, let's, let's talk through this together. Let's, let's figure out a solution. They have definitely helped transform my growth. They have, you know, helped me pick the battles that are necessary to pick and the ones that it's better off to, you know, either ask forgiveness or just redirect. And so I'm really appreciative for that, that personal board of advisors. They, they care about uh, my growth, my career, and our company, Cornica Cozing. So I, I'm just, I'm grateful to have them. Right now, I actually just put another person on it last week. There's no like finite edges around it. You know, it can continue to grow and evolve as your career grows and evolves. And so I'm just, I'm very grateful for that personal board of advisors and maybe others will find a way to make that happen in your career as well. Yeah, hopefully y'all got started on that this morning with some conversation. So thank you again, Laurie, and uh, thanks to everybody here. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you both for, uh, for sharing that with us this morning. Uh, before we bring the morning to a close, uh, I, want to get, uh, I want to once again uh, thank our national sponsor, Girl Scouts of the USA. 
national partners ABWA and NABO, and our local partner HBA. 